From Stockholm Studios in Bushwick, Brooklyn, this is The LPV Show, a weekly discussion from the world of photography and photo books. Here is your host, Brian Formals. What's going on, Photoland? I'm Brian. This is the LPV Show. We're in Bushwick. We got uh, a couple special guests. Thank you, Sarah Jacobs, for coming on and co-hosting. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes. You were on a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, we liked you so much, we were like, we gotta have, <laughs> she's so good at asking questions, she knows what she's great. Good. Yeah. She has a good sound element. Yes. Voices, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she's got a lot of practice, though, too. She's, she's an expert. Expert podcast. Veteran podcast. Veteran uh, podcast, yeah. Yes, indeed. A and we got, a, we got a, another great guest, Amanda Jasnowski. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to, um, how, do we say, like, Amanda, are you... You're very well known already, and you're 22 years old. I mean, I, I don't want to start out with Instagram, but how the hell do you get 74,000 <laughs> followers on Instagram that fast? That's a good. Can you give away question. the secret? <laughs> well, I don't really know what it is. Uh, I know there's maybe there's a formula, and I think from a marketing or business standpoint, there probably is. Uh, but it kind of started organically when I lived in Ohio. I was just so bored and I was just like super stoked on this thing that I found, Instagram. And I started using it a lot and engaging a ton. And I think people that engage heavily right. receive a lot of feedback, whether it's like through comments or actual people or, um, yeah, and then people just kind of started amassing. Um, Big followings. But yeah. you're, so you're originally from Spain. Yeah. And then you moved to Ohio when you were, uh, how old were you? It's like six or seven. Six or seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I moved here and then sh shortly after I started first grade, I learned English and then the rest is history. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, when did, but when did, when did you, when did you get a camera in your hands? I think I got a camera in my hand probably like, I would say freshman year of high school or something like that. I don't really know age that pertains to it, but <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, and I, and I kind of just for those four years, I just kind of played around. The first two years of high school, I went to a normal public high school. And then the other two years, junior and senior year, I went to a vocational school where I studied in-depth photo. Oh, and that was okay. the first time where it was like, whoa, I'm really into this. Like, this is, and I didn't, had never thought about it, about doing that professionally. But I was just excited to find something that I was interested in creative. I think right. that was like the first outlet. Um, and then I also, dove into like the internet outlets and Flickr and Tumblr and right. uh, that opened up a whole other world. Yeah, that's, I think it was almost like shocking when you told me how old you were. Cause I'm like, I think I've been following her for, now it's like half your life. It seems like, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, no, you know? I mean, <laughs> that's kind of, the, that's how I feel sometimes and it freaks me out and it mm -hmm. makes me a little bit reclusive uh -huh. naturally, I think, once you like realize how much is out there. Um, but it's also amazing, I don't think, uh, well, I definitely don't think my life would be the same without that whole aspect, um, right. let alone my career. And also when I moved to New York, there was such a strong support from the internet community that I was just like, well, I gotta do it. Like, I gotta, I gotta go. Because um, yeah. people in my hometown weren't, at least just generally speaking, weren't as supportive. Um, although my friends were incredibly supportive and super excited. And the night that I was having like a going away thing, they had a house show. and. They had a few bands play, and they did a speech at the end, and gave me all the all that like the proceeds. Oh wow! They were just like, cheers, cheering me off. Um, 
And I had never experienced that back home until that moment, really. Uh-huh. So I was like, wow. So like hometown pride really coming out. Yeah, more than ever. And I was just about to leave, which I guess that's how it always goes. Yeah. No, I think I definitely have a lot of college friends and high school friends. I'm one of the few people that left Minnesota, right? You know, most of my friends are back there. Yeah. So they're all, every time I come run into them, they're always like, oh, New York, LA, whatever you So they're yeah. kind of really into it. You get that weird perspective of like. Yeah, my sister like, and I. Vicarious kind of like yeah. living through you, you know? Yeah, whenever I take the bus home, especially this last holiday with my sister, we were just like deep in that perspective and just like the cultural. I guess I don't know if awareness is the right word, but just being like, whoa, seeing the town like we had never seen it before. Right, right. Did you experience that, Sarah? When I came to New York? Yeah, or like when you go back home. You're, oh. from, you're kind of, you're from Dallas, right? Yeah, I'm from Dallas. So it's kind of a big, big city it, in itself. It's it not is. like people aren't so impressed. <laughs> Especially I, in Texas, too. Like, eh, yeah, no, and I went, to, I went to an arts high school also, and so, I mean, I was taking the train into, into downtown when oh, I was a freshman. Okay. So I kind of had that, you know, that experience yeah. a little bit. But, yeah. Yeah. My friend, one of my good friends from high school, I met him at Minneapolis, he's like, I caught like I got out of a cab and he's like, You're a city guy, man. And like flagging <laughs> cabs, he's like, You just you know how to get around. I'm like, Well, it's really not that difficult. It you changes know? you the before city, you even yeah. know it though, yeah. in ways that you are just like, That's still me. Yeah, I my problem is is you get I get getting around, especially in St. Cloud, Minnesota, which is pretty small, sixty thousand. Like, how do you get around yeah. like, to go get groceries or to go just get something at a convenience store? It's like get in the car, you drive, and it's like, yeah, the car's hey, inevitable. You know. You're not a fan of cars. No, I'm not a fan of cars. I remember, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm terrified of them actually. Yeah, I mean, they're in New York City. The worst people in New York City are people that are driving automobiles. Yeah. I think from a pedestrian point from of view. From a pedestrian, yeah. Point of view. Yeah. Which is if you're sure. on foot a lot. But do you, you, so you like, you kind of have this dual, you are what I would call a very natural photographer. You like to go and just take photos. You'll just do that. Yeah. But then I'm you're also very technical and studious and like creative in, you know, on the inside yeah. of the set and doing that stuff. So how do you kind of balance out that? How do you work? For me, it's like I'm, I just have to go and take photos. I couldn't do any of those. Yeah. But you seem to be able to balance it out. Um, that's nice to know. It seems balanced because it's <laughs> like a never-ending uh, balancing trick. But I think just accepting that it's the way that your brain is naturally, and just being like, okay, I'm what my old boss would have called like creative. Like you're you're weird, right? She'd always come up to me and be like, you're weird, right? Like yeah. give me your opinion on something. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that was the first time where it was like, oh, maybe I'm like just that's just kind of how it goes. And also just witnessing my sister because she's very much the same way um, has been helpful. But yeah, I think it's just like, it's not something that I can necessarily turn off. Um, yeah, because it was like this before I was a professional photographer. Right. And then I think part of the reason that it feels so natural is because it evolved from such a natural place. Um, when I was like 15, 16, taking photos with friends, going out for no reason other than just to make cool photos. Um, and that's, it kind of transitioned from something that felt supernatural and at home right. into something different, which is its own challenge, but. Because I saw you read, I, you had a blog post for you, something about you went into Manhattan after like a week or something and you were yeah. just going out walking, taking photos and I thought it was really, you're like, you, 
you wrote about like kind of your self doubt yeah. about making a photo, and then you were like, well, why the hell not? Just do yeah. It, you know? Well, I think I think you get caught up in the business aspect, and I forget how much I just enjoy it and how much it's just like a part of the daily things that I experience. Um, and I've also learned that I'm super sensitive in that way where I, if I'm secluded for like a day or two and then I go out into the world, Bushwick, anywhere in Brooklyn, in the city, wherever, I'm just like, oh, I like, there's tears in my eyes. <laughs> um, so sometimes I think that's kind of a good trick to play on myself if I'm like f if not feeling the way that I used to about the city or like having doubts about being here. Um, I just kind of subconsciously do that to myself. Oh yeah, get it, get it, get it out and taking a walk. I mean, yeah, you know, we could talk about that forever. But I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. I, I like doing it on Sunday mornings on a clear head, mm -hmm. and it's kind of you go out and within those first fifteen minutes, all of a sudden there's fireworks going off. Yeah, like, yeah, and that's how I feel. It's just like you just see everything. Yeah, and you definitely do. You feel like you get into a different zone if you're out walking in those kind of yeah. alone, or you just see things a little bit differently. Uh, yeah, I think. I definitely, well, I think I'm just really aware because there's other times I'm just walking down the street thinking about something else or like looking at my phone or just not even looking. So I have to really let myself look. Um, and then this can also be edited out, but just for the sake of the story. <laughs> um, oftentimes I really enjoy smoking a bowl and then right. going out. And then it's just like you're really willing yourself into this mental state where you're even more aware and you're just like, wow, where is it? And it's like it doesn't have to be anything. I don't, sometimes I don't even take photos like of what I'm seeing. It's just to like enjoy kind of yeah. like an exercise. Yeah. So how did you, how did you transition into your professional like That's getting clients and doing, how did that all, was it just like, we know you from the internet, we hire you, and then you're kind of like, oh man. Yeah, I think now there's definitely, there's more recognition, but I think when I moved here, it was a slow build. Um, I didn't really, I wasn't really that much, that busy with work the first year that I, full year that I lived in New York. I was traveling a lot. Uh, I was making lots of personal work, kind of just strengthening my portfolio, uh, particularly commercial work because um, I didn't really think it was where it needed to be. And my rent at the time was so cheap that it worked out and I was just kind of getting by. And I think the first year that I lived here was really just building um, and reaching out to people, really using the powers of the internet and just, yeah, just reaching out all the time. What have you said? So you, I mean, you, you have a good view on how professional photographers kind of Build their brands online and that sort of sort of thing. How did you? How did she land to come onto your radar? The same way as everyone else through Instagram and yeah, yeah. I found Hoke Toke. I think maybe like a year and a half ago, probably. Um, and I, I probably I just found it through my feed. You know, of like what it's other people It's funny how they're, they're so connected. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really does the work for you. Absolutely, and then I and then I got on Vine, and I, I found yeah. you on Vine. I love all your little like yeah. light chasing moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are fun to see. Oh, wow, I didn't see There's that. more flexibility on Vine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I follow Safe. quite a few photographers on Vine. I yeah. feel like you you're one of the more active ones, definitely. Yeah, it's, I feel less I feel less pressure on any aspect. Than yes. Just Vine crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've seen my videos of my parents when I go home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I have. I have. I have. Okay, I have to ask. Your whole I life. love that. Yeah, it's so, yeah. it's so strange because I do feel like I know, you know, I've, I've only, this is my first time meeting you, yeah. and yet I've seen your home life, yeah. you know, I've seen your studio. That's the beauty of it. It's awesome. It's yeah. amazing. So you have, are you having this moment of, does, does the perception you have of her through the internet 
like meet up to who she oh, yeah. is. Like, 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 oh, she's exactly <laughs> how right, right. Good, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I want to know, did you, did you do like all the darkroom stuff in high school or did you just go straight to digital because you were studying in like Yeah, I started with film uh, up until, well, I had st my first camera was digital and then my junior and senior year of high school, I started basically with Film 101. And okay. we, the way that that program was built, uh, they start the foundations on film, and then when you, at the end of like the second year, you get to start shooting digitally, but the, the, the bulk of it is all on film. Mm -hmm. And once you start doing actual studio work, um, so I learned how to develop film, black and white, and print it, and I really miss the darkroom, and I see myself going back into that kind of process over mm -hmm. time. And I totally understand the way, like why digital, especially in the industry, and I, it's like kind of like a constant tug and pull with what I want to be making. And, but ultimately, it, you can't really get too caught up or right. you stop making things. Well, so much of your work revolves around color and like color play, which yeah. I absolutely love. And I mean, I, so I can't really imagine your work being black and white, but I'd right. love to see what you would do. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't really think that much about color until the beginning of 2013. And if you look at my work before that, not, oh. not color-centric at all, not really oh, looking wow. at color. Yeah, I was shooting lots of black and white and focusing on, I think, like the composition. And I still, I challenge myself to shoot black and white for that reason, because I'm so obsessed with color that it focused, just changes the, the shift of focus um, in the way that you perceive it. So how, I think that's, in, I mean, there's two things here. It's like how you must have, how often do you like go and prune what you have on the internet? I know we kind of like chat about this a little bit where you, kind of you feel like you want some of the stuff gone. Yeah. I mean, or do you feel, and I get into this argument with the people a lot, like they feel like this is an archive and you got to preserve history. And I'm like, why? Who cares? Yeah. Like, just, it doesn't need to be yeah. there. So do you, how, what do you feel about keeping? It's funny because my opinion on this has changed uh, over the last year. I think originally I had, hadn't even really looked too much at what was already on the internet. I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm really open to people seeing where I started because I think it's super important. Um, and I still have work from 2000, like from the earliest that I can like mangle off a hard drive or something. Because <laughs> um, I think that is really important, but you don't have to necessarily share all of it. And I think what caused me to take some of it back, or at least try to, because realistically once you put something out, yeah. it, it's going to be there forever. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just vulnerable, and I think that was what made me like take all these things back or want to. Um, but you also have to be realistic. Right. Um, and think that even if, I don't know, it's so much bigger than just what's on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you, do you kind of view the internet as the place where you publish and show photos, or is it part of your process where you, hey, I'm work experimenting on this, or you kind of yeah. want to share? Because for me, that's, that was my big revelation. It's like, this isn't just, unless I really make it work for me, or it's a part of my process and the way I'm editing and doing things and the way I'm thinking, I'm not, I feel like I'm just throwing stuff out there without yeah. thinking. So yeah. once I try to actually use it to make myself think differently about how I'm presenting photos, like sequencing or editing, yeah. then it was like, oh, this is a very powerful tool that the photographer can actually use in their process to really shape what they're doing. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that are like, well, it's just, you're just publishing and you're putting it out there. Do you kind of... I mean, I think there's whatever you can grab. I think it's as much as you make it kind of thing, where if you... What, if you're looking to use it in that way, you will gain something from it. But then the people who are just like blasting without cause or like without thought, um, 
maybe don't see that, don't find that insight, but it's definitely, I mean, it, it definitely has provided so much good insight and has become a part of the process. Um, and I think it's just part of practicing publicly. Right. I think, and there's also like from a business standpoint, if you stop sharing things on the internet on any level, whether it's like work that's unfinished or already finished or just things that you're thinking, people forget that you're there. Right, right. And as, as far as running a business, it's like people can't do that because then you have no work. You have no work, right? Yeah. 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 And that's kind of a thing, hard thing to come to terms with. Um, but then you just have to like rearrange it in a way where it's fun and you're excited about it. Because right. you know, I mean, now everyone's very hyper aware that photo editors are following you on Instagram. And it's yeah. not just, but that's kind of what I wanted. You know, maybe a little weird to start out with your Instagram, but it's when you have that many yeah. people, it's not just the people that are following me. Four hundred people are, are photo really nerdy. I know who they are, right? Yeah. It's not that difficult to figure out who those four hundred people are. But if you got eighty thousand people, you're gonna have this diverse range of people that are yeah. gonna be from photo professionals, editors to. I mean, who are these people? Mm -hmm. Like, I think you yeah. mentioned you have like a lot of teenagers that follow you and are into what you're doing, you know? Yeah. So how do you cater to like these multiple audiences? Um, yeah. I think you just do what you like to do because those people are following you for that reason. And that's how you cater. Do you, do you think twice, like, oh, who's going to be... Oh, of course, like, yeah. And I think I think I go, people go in waves with those thoughts. Um, I've seen people in the depths of those where it's like they struggle a lot with that and it becomes not so fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think once, yeah, once it becomes something that you're worrying too much about, it's like, wait, well, it doesn't seem fun for me in particular. Cater <laughs> um, sounds like you're serving someone, though. It, it's kind of how people feel about it sometimes, yeah. though. I've seen people really struggle with, like, feeling like they're not catering to a certain person or audience or whatever. Um, and it's like, well, ultimately, people are going to dig what you're doing because you're doing it. But I th what I think I mean by I that think, is yeah. if once you... I mean, you realize what works. Like, oh, these kind of photos, yeah. bam, I'm going to get a ton of... But if you do something that kind of goes against it and then you don't get as many likes or whatever, it does mess with your head, you know? You definitely, I mean, you definitely notice it. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm definitely aware of the things and kind of how people react to certain things. And I, I mean, I could post... You could go your whole your whole life posting things that would really rack up some numbers and really please people's eyes because it's beautiful. Um, but then at the end of it, you're going to feel so bummed out that you did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I try to remember that. Uh, and I don't really, at this point, don't feel so self-conscious about things that don't get that much feedback um, because I've been through that where it's like I don't want to end up there. Um, and if I enjoy it and the people that I care about uh, that I know are watching enjoy it or like right. get it, then that's really anyone else who isn't, it isn't to their appeal, then they're more than welcome to... Not <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Hit the uh, we'll unfollow button. Yeah. Yeah. But I know we were chatting a little bit on Facebook chat, like how you've been going back into your archive and kind of reevaluating yeah. stuff. And you're thinking about like doing books now, which is yeah. know, the kind of theme of our yeah. show here. So, how are you looking? What are your, how do you, because you're coming basically from a, you're looking at your big mess of photos and like, yeah. What do I make into this book? It wasn't like you set out, oh, like no. so many documentary photographers, like I'm going to this place, I'm documenting this is going to be a book, or you're a conceptual photographer and you're saying, here's my idea, I'm going to execute. You're yeah. kind of taking it as, you know, this photographer has this massive body of work that you yeah. can probably 
cut up into different ways. You could do really like highly stylized studio stuff that would be bang, or you could do your really personal side. I mean, you could do both. I guess that's yeah. why I'm really curious because you're at an interesting point where you're starting to think about books and like how you're going to represent yourself in yeah. photo books. So I think it's a very interesting time to kind of get your insight on where your head is on that because there's going to be so many people yeah. that are still trying to figure that out, you know. Yeah. I know that's a big question. No, no, it's good. Um, well, I think it definitely takes lots of time just feeling overwhelmed about it because I, I think I've thought about books for a long time or it feels like it, but I haven't even been able to wrap my head around actually doing one because it's just such a massive thought. Uh, and I'm still figuring out how to separate them because you could, there's like a bajillion series within a body of work. Right. Um, so I'm still figuring that out. But the workshop I took at Aperture, uh, Jason Fulford's workshop mm. on image sequencing and visual language, that really catapulted my brain into like a more active version of that where I was really, like we had printout print out, uh, of a bunch of photos that we took and we had other people arrange them. So I was able to see other how other people saw the work and how they arranged it. Super insightful. Um, and I think just also looking at photo books is kind of a good way to guide that. And I'm sure even if I, even when I do publish my first book, I'm still gonna look at it and be like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like you looking back at your Flickr account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just being like, seeing all the things that you could have changed. And uh, I think at some point you just have to go for it and know that there will be many more. You're never the same person at any moment. Right, yeah. Uh, I think someone, a friend of mine was telling me about this book that she's been working on, uh, not a photo book, but just a book for six years, and it really put it into perspective. It's like, if you think about it, especially as a photographer, if you shoot specifically, if you shoot work of any variety, if, just knowing that it's going to go into a, a singular body of work over six years, it's going to span like aesthetically such right. a wide um, channel. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm still, I still am hacking away at stuff I did. Now it's ten years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it, it's kind of a depressing thing. It's fr I'm like, this is really going to be depressing. It's Friday night. I'm like, okay, bottle of wine, and I'm going to go back to Los Angeles and look at these photos that I literally have memorized. Time I'm, travel. Time travel. But yeah. it's, it is really. I feel like I have to know these photos like inside and out, and I have to understand. I feel like they speak to me. Like the more you get to know them, it's yeah. oddly like they become part of you and like you have to listen to them. And I think that is like the terror. That is like the threshold of terror for so many photographers <laughs> because confronting yourself and confronting your yeah. photos and your creativity and who you were. And failures. And failures. It <laughs> yeah. is just, it is, it's punishing. And that's why so many photographers just don't edit. But so I think like that is, you know, yeah, no, no, totally. It's like looking, it's just like looking at your body of work and really being like, okay, not looking at it from your perspective where it's like, oh yeah, I shot these and that's where that thought ends, but really like going far enough to look at it objectively or... How do you, oh, yeah. how do you feel like your work has changed from, since moving to New York? How has it influenced you? It's interesting because the first full year that I lived here, I spent um, like nearly half of the year in LA, so that was kind of just like a weird settlement or I was having a hard time placing roots and was just influenced by the both both of the cities. Um, yeah. I think, well since living in the loft at the beginning of 2013, I, uh, I, make, I started making studio work and now that's such a majority of what I do is studio work. Yeah. So that's kind of been a big change. Um, How did you take from your documentary stuff and you're more just like shooting your own life into the studio? Like what elements did you take in with you? 
I think uh, maybe just like the spon spontaneity of it, because I, I struggled for a long time. The idea of creating something out of nothing in the studio freaked me out, mm -hmm. and now that's, which was I think a lot of people can relate to, because I was so used to shooting things that were already existing, just yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, and that was definitely something that I learned a lot about, and I still continue to learn. Uh, but I think maybe just like the sensibilities, like the light and the colors, all of those themes span along the rest of my work, even that's not in the studio. Yeah, because you do use natural light for the most mm -hmm. part, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and even with models, you kind of find them mimicking shapes that I see on the street, mm -hmm. like weird, weird found sculptural objects. Yeah. Um, and it, like, yeah, I remember thinking about that and it, thinking it would, could be cool to do a, a book where it's one image is the studio image and the other image is the like the other Im image that inspired that shape or just to like really show people the visual brainstorm yeah. behind that. Totally, that's That'd kind of like cool. Brian's sketchbook a little bit, showing yeah. the back end. Yeah. Um, great idea. <laughs> well, I, I think we're going to take a break here and we're actually going to we're going to chow down on some great yeah. Mexican food. Yeah. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about more books. Cool. Food coma Food podcast. Like this, my brand of dry, really dry sarcasm is, it's a very Minnesotan kind of thing, this self-deprecating humor. So I found, I've always been, in Minnesota, it fly, because all my friends at home were just the same thing and nobody, you know, you, you talk about levels of like sarcasm, or like, that's like the seventh level of sarcasm, do you not understand where I'm at with it? So, in New York I think it's just a much more like abrasive kind of Blunt humor, where you mm -hmm. don't, that's, it's not like layered in sarcasm. In LA, it didn't really, people are what? You know, they don't know. <laughs> like, I think LA is a little bit more of the almost kind of like the very stand up, actor y kind of shticky humor, you know? Where Super it's like, official? Well, it's a very, it's an act, you know? Yeah. Kind of everything out there is more an act. I mean, New York's kind of that way too, but New York. They're York always humor. on, right? Like, everyone in LA, they're always right, on. Right, they feel right. Like they're but in New York is a tough thing because like you know, a person New walking York down is, the street, in the middle of sunshine, probably tripping. Yeah. And I don't, I don't. I mean, I love LA. Yeah, I love LA. I mean, LA yeah. is a, a weird, amazing place. It's very difficult to kind of like describe it, especially after you've lived there, because you kind of see the complexity of it. I think a little yeah. bit, rather than like the stereotypes. But it's you a could weird say place. Say same about New York as well, too. But I haven't seen things like I'm inside of New York now. I don't, yeah, I don't have, you have like, to leave the outside, mm -hmm. yeah, bubble. Whenever I get home, I see New York. Or yeah, when I travel, I, sure. I see the things about New York that make me a person that lives in New York. I always miss yeah. it. Like, someone's like, I can't wait to get to New York and then just be able to get on the subway and go and like be back in this kind of... Yeah. But it is a weird bubble. Mm -hmm. You don't realize it until you leave. I think it's one of the best things you can do here is to leave. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I itch for the times where I get to leave because I'm like, cool, I need to hit that reset. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. I need to miss it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but then the best part is coming back, right? right. Leaving yeah. and then coming back. Yeah, I still remember vividly the first time that I ever came back, and I was like, whoa, this is home. This yeah. feels, feels right. Then you try to get awesome. back into the routine, and you feel comfortable. I mean, it's really like yeah. something like, 
It's like an anti-anxiety medicine too. It's like, oh, I can. I kind of struggle with it though. Whenever I come back, I think it's just the nature of my work. But I'm just like, ah, how do I deal with this? But you kind of just go back into your groove. Because you're a traveler. We talked about that. You have yeah. like the wander. You I have like the big wanderlust. You yeah. have to go and you have to go. And yeah, yeah. And it's funny. I was thinking about this because I, I think I was also a wanderlust sort of person when I was younger and lived in Ohio. But I had very little experience traveling. And the first time that I ever left Ohio, I did a road trip across the U.S. in like a big circle. And that was just like, there's no going back from there. <laughs> so you'd be a, so I think that's a good segue into the book we're going to discuss too, which yeah. is called the, the Family Acid. It's by uh, Roger Steffens. Mm-hmm. So this is, I, this is I, I'm so happy that we're talking about this book because this is one of these, this is like the perfect book almost for like what we're doing because I picked it up like a lot of people, the Instagram feed. And I really didn't, I don't know, again, how do you, this is like a whole podcast of like how you end yeah. up following stuff. Cause you just end up following it, and then six months later, you're like, I don't even remember <laughs> how I got it. Yeah. And right. it's a weird, it's such a bewildering experience. It's like, I don't, I don't know, I don't, don't know. Just like, I don't even, exactly, I don't remember. Just ran into him at the coffee shop and like. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, you, go, you so have wait. to explain that. Okay. I will. Yes. So let me yes. explain. We're gonna, we're gonna, yeah. Like, this is a good, yeah, this is why it's so good. But I want to read. So anyways, I followed him on the Instagram, and then I met the guys from Sun, who we're going to have on in a couple episodes here. Um, and they found the Instagram, too, and instantly they were like, we have to do a book on this. So they, they jumped on it, and this whole thing came together in, like, four months. Well, from wow. them discovering the Instagram to like we're gonna make the book to where it's sitting in our hand right here. Yeah. So the, basically the story is, is like Roger Steffens is this 75 year old guy who was in Vietnam. I, hopefully I don't get this wrong. But he was in Vietnam and like he was a photographer in Vietnam and he got like all these rolls of Kodachrome. I can't remember if it was from the government or there was some way that he just got this stockpile and he ended up shooting tons of film and then after he got out of Vietnam he just had this kind of like crazy life in LA where he kept like making photographs and he's world renowned as like one of the greatest collectors of like reggae memorabilia. Mm. Like he's got the greatest collection and he, I guess he had a radio show for 10 years where he like, he interviewed like all the greatest like reggae artists and he's like, that's how he's known. Something he had the cover band too, right? Uh-huh. He toured with a cover band, Well you, right? you'll feel oh. something this maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this will kind of get part of the story I think. But it, so I guess the story is he had all these, these photographs and like they weren't, you know, he didn't have, they weren't out there, and then his kid, he was like, I got, there's some good photos, and then his kids were like, well, let's just throw them on Instagram, so they started scanning them and did it. So I want to read from Kate Steffens, which I believe is his daughter, just a little bit of um, the introduction of the text in the book. For years, I've wanted to write about my family, but could never figure out a way to do so. No one ever believes all the stories are true. It wasn't until I began a project with my dad's photos that I realized there, there was photographic proof of all the madness. After years of friends commenting on how unusual our family unit was, the dinner conversations full of intellectual debates, joints being passed along with the salad, 24-hour drum circles while we attempted to finish our homework in the next room. The family acid was the closest term I could think of to convey both our skewed reality and dad's photographic eye. Unearthing these negatives has provided me a better perspective on dad, and I learned new things about him constantly. How did he end up being uh, both the voice of the Holocaust Museum and Bill Gates audiobook. 
Why were he and mom driving the Mexican president's wife around Los Angeles in a limo? <laughs> How did Nina Simone end up coming over for dinner? A typical conversation with him begins, why didn't you tell me you rode an elevator with MLK? Or why do you have a thank you card from Phil Spector? Just when I think I have a handle on who my parents are and the lives they lived and continue to live, they flip me out with some little tidbit about doing psychedelic mushrooms, marmalade smuggled into the States by Basque separatists. <laughs> my tendency towards living a cloistered life is constantly in jeopardy. It's hard to close yourself off to the world when your parents are on the balcony sipping tequila and chanting, um, <laughs> to the setting sun. <laughs> I hope these photographs and stories inspire people to experiment in art and in life, because when it comes right down to it, we're all members of the family acid. That's pretty awesome. So this is like one of my favorite type of projects, like digging into the archive and coming up with these amazing photos. So now we're gonna get to you, Manny. You were out in LA and you met him. Yeah, yeah, I was just, uh, I think I was by myself and when was it? Maybe it was previously, but I'd also had another great experience at The Stranger in LA and I was like, yeah, LA, I'm back, you're <laughs> back. Uh, so I was already like feeling this good energy and I walk up to this coffee shop, uh, and I had a, like a twin lens camera around my neck, and he just pointed it out, and we started talking about it. And it, I had no idea who, who he was, and it didn't really, I was just like, I'm just pumped that he's pumped. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he was just, it was a great conversationalist, um, and he kind of told me, like, I kind of, I think I asked questions about, you know, does he, do you take photos? Um, and he kind of went a little bit into it, and discussed his life in New York and he was touring with a with a reggae cover band, I would yeah. say, um, for a bit and he kind of told me about his experiences touring in New York uh, and I think his daughter lives in New York, I think. Um, it was a pretty short interaction but I just remember it being so pleasant um, and he was just like radiating this really good energy uh, and I remember I went I went in, got my coffee, went back out, and I sat outside to have a cigarette. And as he was, he, he took, he was taking a photo as I was coming out, and we saw each other. And he goes, "One love." <laughs> and I was just like, "Who are you?" Oh, and he wrote down his um, his Instagram, the family asset, in his name. Uh, and I was like, "Okay, cool. I'll check this guy out." And then later on, I realized like who this person was. Um, but I just remember like. When he said "one love," it was just one of those moments where you're just like, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. "So he got a picture of you?" No, no, he, he was he was taking a picture oh, of his own. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember thinking, I was like, maybe I should take this dude's photo. He seems uh, he's just like a good character. Oh, that's uh, interesting that you didn't. Maybe you'll meet again. I have a good feeling. Uh, yeah, I have. A well, hopefully he hears it. You get chance. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening, no. Oh, I mean, we got the, the guys at Sun, so Corey Presha and, and Bill Sullivan, who I've talked to quite a bit, they're like, you got to have him on. I was like, well, he's in L.A. Maybe when we go to L.A., yeah. we'll do it. Because we plan on going out to L.A. and talking to a bunch of L.A. people in the fall, yeah. I think. Yes. But I think it's so curious that you didn't take his picture. I love that. You're a photographer. Yeah, well, and I it think... went through your head. Like, how do you make that decision? I, never, I didn't think we were interested. It didn't but, seem pressing. It didn't yeah. seem like that was the end all be all. I feel like... <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, he just has the kind of energy where you're like, oh, I'm going to see this guy again someday, like at some point, in some crazy-ass moment, you you're going to cross will. paths. You probably will, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that was, I think I was just enjoying the moment too much to really make something of it. 
but in hindsight, it would have been wonderful. I think that's a great lesson. Sometimes you don't take the picture. Yeah. It's just the thing. Like, yeah. yeah, and I'm even just, without the photograph as a memory, there's still like such warmness of yeah. the memory. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things. I, I, don't, I cringe anytime I see some of those articles where you have, like, you have to document it. I'm like, no. Like the whole thing about being a photographer yeah. is being able to kind of like choose. Like that's that initial thing. Sometimes just. And it feels good sometimes to so just keep it to yourself. Yeah, I love, I mean, most of the time I have, a, I think probably my best photographs are the ones I didn't take, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know? Like, and you oh, remember oh, those. And you remember them. <laughs> like, oh, man, you know? They probably strike more feeling within you than photographs you did take. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, yeah. I mean, I always think of, like, especially on this, this snapshot kind of stuff where it's like, you're just kind of lucky you got something at yeah. any time. And it's like this weird residue of your life, but I don't feel... I don't feel like you could even look at this book as amazing as it is and say, like, this is the totality of his life, right? Well, obviously not. I mean, yeah. even that intro about her being like, Dad, why didn't you tell us about, you know, riding in an elevator? Was right. okay. All these things. That, what a cool way to get to know your dad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. So, so neat. Yeah, that's a good, really good point. Oh, here's him. I think this is him smoking a joint on the back. And he was, who is he taking... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was driving the limo, I guess, and he was, I think that was in the interview. That was also he, a good time to be alive, I think. Yeah. On the in 70s, yeah. like the yeah. 60s and 70s. I have a kind of a really fascination with the 70s. I have a Tumblr going on right now where I'm uh, basically like looking for all photos that were made in 1973. And like, so I've been searching Flickr and Google and all this stuff and trying to like, can see what's out there. It's Whoa. just kind of weird. Yeah. Why, why 73? So what I wanted to do was I wanted to go back and kind of like take a look at the way technology has evolved. And where I started was like the microprocessor. So the micro, well, there was a big advancement in like microprocessor chip in like 72 and 73. But when I started stumbling upon that stuff, I found that the first like mobile phone mm. was developed in 1973 was the first kind of test. So I was like, okay, that's interesting because mobile phones and that technology are so important to what we're doing today. So I was like, that's a good starting point. Sort of a singularity. I think, well, so what it's going to do is this Tumblr is going to start in this one year is the first chapter, and the second chapter is going to jump to another year, and it's going to actually um, follow technology through like these five different years. But then it's a mix of all these other vernacular photographs as well, too. What's the, what's the URL? Give us the URL. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll put it. It's, it's called Terminal Reflector is what I'm calling it right now. So, like, this, I feel like a terminal is like how, an entry point of how you go, and then yeah. like uh, reflector is like obviously reflecting back on the past, but it's also like in how light, how you actually see stuff is like it's yeah. a reflection back. So I don't know. Not that this is any, uh, remotely relevant to this, other than being in the seventies. But you know, <laughs> but with everyone who I show this book to is like they marvel at the double exposures. Yeah, yeah that right. Was my first this comment. one in particular, the ducks. The ducks. Yeah, the ducks is the, like, well, how is he flying? It's like almost right, but then you're like, no, the ducks are a little too big. Yeah, we're gonna have to get yeah. a picture because he's like. I haven't seen that. I don't one. understand. It's like the duck got thrown off the bridge. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? Well, and saying, like, how yeah. did you get there? I did not. I looked at this photo for but a little that, while and wow. didn't understand what was going on. I, I get it. I would have really gotten it at first. <laughs> is it a double exposure, though? Are you sure? I don't know. Because why couldn't the duck just be flying or when are you going to be moving? 
His wings are tucked away. Maybe it's yeah, a big his dunk. wings are tucked away. I, I don't but know what's happening. Wouldn't there be some kind of like? I think since mystery. he's like mostly white, or I don't know, maybe the water was so dark. Yeah, I think that's what helped it as a double exposure. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. We're gonna have to ask him about that. You're like, no, that's yeah. that's a real duck. That's yeah. a real duck. Right? <laughs> and the weird thing is, like, I didn't even realize when I I was bought this book, and then those guys were talking at the ten by ten salon a couple weeks ago, and I realized. All the stories like yeah. are in the back. So on the Instagram, each one he goes and he recounts every story. So I suppose we could look up the duck one if we read. Yeah. So, right? Read one of the stories. Yeah, read the duck one. Yeah, read the duck. I don't know where the duck is. I lost the duck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the thing is. So many photos. There's so many photos. I don't know. But I could read this one. This is on page 101, 100. Oh, you guys really put me on the spot. Wow, yeah, Maybe we should do some more planning on this podcast, producers. Uh, no. <laughs> well, that would ruin the magic. Living, or... living as we go. Okay, so this is driving. Okay, so this is the one where he's sitting in the back of the limo smoking the joint. Okay, so it's called Driving in High Style, August 1977. The shot was taken by my friend Buddy Roche in the back of a limousine parked in front of our Silver Lake apartment. Buddy was a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War, so they drafted him and sent him to medic school only for him to end up on the front lines of combat. He was badly wounded after being hit and dragging three men out of a bomb crater to safety. For his heroic efforts, he was awarded a silver star. Odd circumstances led to his running in limo service in L.A. in the mid-1970s, during which time he hired me and Mary to drive the wife of the president of Mexico and her entourage around the city for a week. One afternoon, we sped up the middle of the Pacific Coast Highway at 70 miles an hour with traffic stopped in both directions and a helicopter constantly overhead. Luckily, no one knew I was driving with an expired license. Wow. <laughs> so there's the story behind him being yeah. in a limousine. Oh, yeah, the, the president it's of Mexico. such a subtle picture, too. Yeah. yeah. But, it, like, so that pic I liked the picture when I first saw it. It was like, oh, that's a cool picture. But do you think, and this is, like, something you we I constantly have a deal with, is, like, how much... Okay, we'll do the duck in a little bit, 1981. <laughs> but I want to... Like text and photos. Do you mm. work with text? Because I was, yeah. you know, it was weird. I saw your writing. Like for whatever reason, I just saw that little piece of writing. You said, and like, she's a really good writer. <laughs> like, and you often come across photographers who don't realize that they are very, you know, articulate. Amy Lombard's another good one too. Where she's, you talk to her, she's like, but like, she's a good writer, right? Yeah, like, yeah, she is. Very good writer, and she she could, you know, that's part of her thing. So I'm always like curious of this relationship between words and photographs. Do you ever uh, think about that at oh, all? Oh, for sure. I think I, I used to write more and share it when I was younger. And then, of course, naturally, I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. i got to get rid of all of it. Uh, so that passion was definitely there. I just think, I don't think it felt, uh, I don't think it felt like it was up to par. But I've always, like, it's always been such a sentimental thing uh, to include writing. Mm -hmm. It's such a, like, small, personal thing. Even just, like, a single word um, adds, like, a different context or layer of, um, what's the word? It's just, like, another extension. Um, yeah, like, more layer. Maybe more personal, yeah, yeah. even. Um, yeah, and I would love to do uh, more work with words, and I'm working on a photo book that's going to be paired with words with a friend of mine. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so I'm excited to kind of dive into that. And even, yeah, I think it's just, it's hard to, to keep those things to yourself because yeah. they're such vulnerable things that people will judge them because they're all text-based. Well, I, I mean, I, 
I'm a failed writer, basically, you know, or like, I don't know. Like, I came from wanting to be a writer and wanting to be a screenwriter. That was why I was in L.A. even, like, yeah. I spent the first year and a half writing the screenplay, and it wasn't only until I couldn't take it anymore that I picked up a camera. So a camera, to me, was the ultimate, like, I don't have to, I can yeah. just take the pictures and, and I come back, and there's there. I was like, holy crap, man, this is, yeah. I can do this. I can, like, articulate it visually rather than trying to use words to do it. Yeah. So I've always had this like weird relationship with... In this case though, it's like the second that we read the story behind that foot, we were all just like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, th that's the thing, like I'm, my life is so boring. I mean, I'm not this guy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You gotta kind of be one of those people where you're doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, unless you're really... I mean, you can be just, really sensitive. Really, yeah, you can be a real sensitive writer about your daily life or something that's not. It's different with this book too, because all the writing is in the back with thumbnails of the picture. Right. Whereas another book we talked about recently, uh, Disco Night. Disco Night The writing is opposite the picture. Yeah. yeah. And I think that really got me to read it and really forced me to. Like, think. And, yeah, that's that's Peter Van Ackmel's book on basically the ten years of the Iraq and Afghanistan war and following the soldiers. I mean, that's you know, to him, I mean, to me, that's a very novel, like it's almost a novel. Like, yeah. He's really working on that format. Where he, this is, no, I think it is interesting how they did it because, mm -hmm. and they they were talking at the salon, even. Like the standard of a photo book is to put the one photo on the right side is just how it's like been done since the days of like Walker Evans. Like that's the standard template. So then sometimes they mix it up or whatever. But most times it's like the one photo and no text, like the most basic form of a photo book. So I think like the decision to put the stories at the end, it almost makes turns it into two books. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. even yeah. a different color different paper. Color, right. Yeah. So do you, everyone want to hear about the duck? Yeah. You want to hear about the duck? <laughs> I want to hear about the duck. It's so suspenseful. How do I? <laughs> we need we need some like intro music to like, come into it. You know. Right. Okay. <laughs> the name of the picture is called "Run, Run, the Duck is Coming," <laughs> July 1981. Well, right. Right away, we'll find out. The double was taken on a visit to my old friend Matt Groening, the Simpsons of Simpsons fame, who was living on a canal in Venice Beach at the time. Back then, Matt was a music critic for the Los Angeles Reader and became a guest on my KCRW show, Roger Steffen's Sounds of the 60s, playing bootleg recordings of Frank Zappa. A few years earlier, Matt had been asked to write a biography of Frank Zappa, but Zappa would never speak with him because Matt had once panned a subpar performance by his 11-year-old son, Dweezil Zappa, in The Reader. In the middle of our show together, Frank called the station and began a conversation in which he and Matt discovered they had both been Boy Scouts in their youth. The two became great friends thereafter. What in the hell was that about? <laughs> it was like you enter into one world and then uh, the Simpsons and Frank... Dweezil Zappa? That's amazing. Yeah. Double well, exposure. So it's it was a double. Yeah. So it definitely was a double exposure. <laughs> okay. Okay, I was not expecting that. No. None of us were. Yeah, this definitely The text felt like a double exposure. Right, yeah. exactly. Thanks, Eddie, from the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, this is... I mean, I think I could probably keep going on this, because this is a really... Maybe I should actually read all of these when I get to... I've only had the book for, like, a week, so it's kind of... Difficult, to but that is an amazing way that works. I think I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad we talked about this book. But you had a couple. Of, so I'm glad you brought Jason yeah. Fulford's book too, because I'm a big fan of Fulford. 
And so you got the photographer's playbook. And what made mm-hmm. you pick up that book? I think, uh, I think just the concept of it. Is, I'm so excited about that. Uh, so I was just, I know it's, and it's all text. There's no visuals. Uh, I mean, there's visuals here in the back. But um, yeah, I think just like the idea that you can still exercise your brain in this way and not necessarily, you don't have to be in an academic setting. All that stuff just lives within you. You just need a, someone or something to like help guide it. Um, and that was kind of, I think, what this is about. I mean, oh, I thought it said fun ideas, but <laughs> it's there. Like, well, so essentially, like, he, they went on and they asked a bunch of photographers to give like exercises. Yeah. To, to, like, and I think each exercise is specific to that photographer, like something that they're personally interested in. So it's like a different way of also seeing, of learning more about that photographer. Um, hmm. Yeah. So yeah. How, how many of those have you done? None yet. <laughs> so do you think, do you, are you going to actually no try them? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm in no rush. It's kind of, I'm, I think I've just been so scattered that I don't really have the capacity to really dive into it, but I'm probably also just making excuses. Is there, no, one, that, oh, is there one that interests you, though? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously photographers in here that I'm huge fans of, but in this case, it's not so much about the photographer, but just what they're saying. So, like, someone that you might have not heard of before is talking about something that you're really interested in. Um, I mean, some of them are super long and intricate, and others are super short and single sentence. Um, Totally. I would suggest to anybody who's having a creative rut or feeling like they, you know, or just not being able to produce work to buy this book because... And it it applies to mediums outside of photography, obviously, just for the creative person in general. Totally. And there's been a few books. uh, What's her name? The author who made a book. Um, It was kind of, it was a similar sort of exercise where you, like one page, for instance, was like, uh, go outside and, and write down the five, the five first sounds that you hear. And it was like a journal and just kind of different activities, sensory sort of things. Uh, and my friend Adam Kurtz just made a book that was like the same sort of thing, one page a day for 365 yeah. days. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely people thinking about those things in that process and that exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is just like a... Absolutely. I love the artist's way. That's an, a really old, um, old yeah. one. So do you have the photographer's playbook too? Did you? Buy I do. It? Yeah, yeah. Have you done any of them? I haven't done any. No. Done any. No. I need. Are to, you though. going to? Yeah, I definitely will. It'll be a time when I've like kind of run out on ideas. I they did. That. I don't know. See, like my problem is, is like I don't want people telling me what to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Why, do you guys, why are you telling me what to do, man? Come on. It's a good way to. Hey, Brian, talk brain. about this book. Talk about this book. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's. it's I guess it's like I need. Yeah, Would you need, consider yourself teachable? In that sense. Am I like, teachable? I, I don't. I think I've always been like an autodidact. Like I learn my best kind of, and I, I think about this a lot. That it, I should have. I would have been better if I would have listened to people and gone to school because it wouldn't take me ten years to kind of get to somewhere where, like, if you would have went to school, they would have pointed that out like right away. Like you have to. Like you can't see yourself. I don't. It's hard. And I think like, I'm happy with the way I did it, but it just takes longer. Like you know, especially when I talk to people who went to art school. Like, yeah. off-camera flash, right? Like, basic thing. It's not it's the like, first thing they teach you. Right, it isn't, but it took <laughs> me, like, four years. I'm like, this is so complicated hard. Yeah. I don't understand it. And Tom taught me to do it in, like, here, you just do this. I, I think like, it's oh, the upside of school is that kind of critical thinking, right. problem-solving. Yeah, and you it can, can be a plug, too, though, right. conceptually. Oh, yeah. Like, you get caught That's up I've in been told. how things should look. And you're like, does it look like this? Is this good enough? I don't know. 
<laughs> but yes. you're self-taught. I mean, you so you had it in high school, but you didn't like you don't have your MFA, or you didn't get your BFA. You no, no, I thought about it and I looked into it, but I think at that point I was also just too lazy to bother with the application process. And it's just like, <laughs> and I was so afraid of student debt and just debt in general that I was yeah. just like at all costs not going to try and put myself in that hole. Um, but I have I have seen the side of it where it affects someone in a negative way, and they either stop making art forever or for some time or it like just restructures their brain in a way that they have to work so hard but then I'm on the other end of the spectrum where it's like I want that that structure at some oh, point I, I have a feeling you're going to be doing the teaching really? <laughs> I don't know wow. sooner than you think you huh. know? I mean I think you, I'm open to it it's yeah. just has never been something that's like oh I'm a teacher like Oh, you like definitely are. I mean, I've learned a lot. I know, you brought this cute yeah. children's book. Yeah, <laughs> I totally... This I equals that, and the, the other Jason Fulford book. And yeah. I, I mean... It's so simple. It's like... What is it? Can you explain it to me? Because I don't get it. Well, it's just like... <laughs> the. It's it obviously just... <laughs> visual similarities between yeah, the two pictures. Right? Okay. The visual similarities, and then I think the way that it's just laid out is to kind of help guide a child through it. Um, obviously, anyone at any age can enjoy it, but... The, I think most of the similarities are fairly obvious, mm -hmm. so when someone yeah. at that age is looking at it, they like can easily recognize. Uh, and I was just so right. pumped that they were making something like this for someone that age group. I was like, yeah, this is what people... Yeah. Should, like, if I had seen a book like this when I was younger, huh. who knows oh, what so I would Oh, so the be. same photo, yeah. okay, so... So it just really emphasizes the fact. Mm. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's just beautiful. I don't think I've, I've seen a book that repeats an image like this on yeah. the next page. Yeah, yeah, and that's just I think maybe perhaps purely for the sake of like this is a visual comparison. And how does this relate to this and vice versa? Mm -hmm. Good for kids, good for kids. Yeah, they kind of get it. Yeah. Um, well, just even edit the editing and sequence. I mean, it is yeah. a journey. Oh yeah. It's the yeah. It's so simple. It's not that simple. That, that's kind of like it's one of those things where like when adults look at children's stuff or watch a children's movie all of a sudden they start to see all this other stuff like yeah. the different cultural layers to it that it works completely differently i think it's really funny yeah <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> i think it's i mean as a photographer, it's the kind of book you, you wish your, your parents had shown you as a kid. Right, and I mean, <laughs> right. even just like the material that they chose, like this is like the books were made out of at the doctor's waiting oh, room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just the colors and... Um, totally. So wait, it, it, oh, and it's, oh, and it is an aperture book, okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it starts with a triangle, and then what do we get to? At the very end, it ends with, ends really with the triangle. triangle. Yeah. Okay, so come it's, full yeah. Full triangle. Full triangle? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you come full triangle? <laughs> I don't know. It's a different podcast. I saw it so many <laughs> Well, maybe we, maybe we came full triangle on this podcast. But Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you that guys. was awesome. It's been so good. Yeah, we're going to have to do this again for sure. Best part of my day. We appreciate your support and hope you continue to enjoy the show. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them to info at lpvshow.com or connect with us on Twitter at lpvshow.